The Quintessential Podcast is proud to announce that we have a new presenting sponsor, Axia Time. Axia Time is a really cool watch company focused on ultra-custom watches to commemorate life's greatest accomplishments. Watches whose styling and quality match the significance of the accomplishments they represent. Axia Time is also partnered with all the leading lacrosse organizations to create all-American timepieces for high school boys and girls and college men and women. Axia Time even creates timepieces for elite awards like the Tuareton and Naismith. If you're interested in a high-quality, Swiss-made timepiece to commemorate a great accomplishment, you need to check out their designs at axiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. If you're celebrating a team achievement, like a state championship, national championship, or even world championship, you have to check out the timepieces they created for teams like Jesuit Dallas, the University of Maryland, and even the USA U21 world champions. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Quintessential Podcast. As lacrosse season is underway here in early February, I covered the uh, Denver at Hopkins. uh, Just amazing comeback last Saturday. And this Saturday, I've got uh, Michigan and Virginia uh, on the ACC Network. Our guest this week, and this is one of the podcasts that I look forward to probably more than any, is John Gordon, author, speaker, the coach of coaches. Uh, He's a former uh, lacrosse player at Cornell and on Long Island. We have similar roots. Uh, we bumped into each other late in the football season at Clemson on Veterans Day. Uh, John, great, great to hear from you. Quint, great to be with you. And that bumping into each other was a great day when we were just walking. Saw you walk, and I go, I think that's Quint, and ran over to you, and we uh, had a great walk together. Uh, you know, last week I interviewed C.J. Kirst of Cornell. Talked to him, uh, asked him about the culture and and what you know Cornell lacrosse has a it's a special place, it's a special bond. He immediately came back at me and said, oh, it's hard hat 21. You know, I read the book when I first got here. Or I got the book on my recruiting trip. Uh, wh- what's it like to have a book that can encapsulate the feeling that exists up in Ithaca? It's an incredible feeling. It's a great responsibility in, in many ways. For me, I knew I needed to write that book. I was supposed to write that book. I was asked to go speak at George's 21 dinner years ago and almost didn't make it. It was a snowstorm. And somehow I was able to get from, from DC to New York for the dinner. Cause I knew George would do anything he could to be there, to get there. Like this was a young man who just sacrificed everything. It was like, I got to sacrifice. I got to be there. And then when I made it and I spoke, I met the family, I met his teammates it was really the first time, even though I was connected to the program and was a player of the Cornell program, it was when I, that was the moment I really learned about the hard hat in a deeper way. And that night, it would not leave me alone. You've got to write this book. And so I knew I needed to tell the story of George and the legacy he left and the culture and 21 and who he was and how these teammates still live their lives based on him years later. I mean, it's unbelievable when you think about it. And so I interviewed his teammates. I interviewed his family. I mean, there were tears, but the stories were unbelievable. It was the hardest writing project I've ever done because usually I write fables and I could just make things up. Here, I was doing research. Here, I was learning. Here, I was trying to put it all together in one comprehensive story. And as I was writing the book, it hit me. His number was 21. Share 21 ways to be a great teammate. So not just about 
George and the story, but about the lessons, about what people could take from that. And so all the proceeds go to his foundation. I've never made a dime from this book. I made that commitment that I would not make money from this book. And it was actually during the writing process when I was learning about him, like this guy truly sacrificed. How can I, how can I make money off this young man's life? And so it it's, it's been so incredible that now this book, as you said, defines a program. I didn't do it for that reason, but they started giving that book out to all the players. And now we have kids around the country reading this book when they're in developmental leagues because coaches are giving it to them. And these kids are wanting to be like George. And it's all about him. I am just the teller of this story. And to me, that is very humbling. It's about him and who he was, the impact he had, and ultimately the spirit of this young man and the, the the spirit of this team that didn't have a ton of talent and yet went to, you know, went to the playoffs and had an amazing season that year. Being a great teammate, uh, teamwork, corporate and team culture, uh, leadership training. That's what you do. Uh, you had a, you know, I follow you on, on uh, Instagram and Twitter and your January was, was off the charts. You were like everywhere. Yeah, really, really busy, whether it's a, a business, a company, a school district, or the Colorado Rockies. You know, I got to speak to their entire organization from the owner, the GM, the manager, front office, ticket sales. You know, those kind of events are are a lot of fun. All about culture, all about leadership, all about mindset, all about teamwork. My big thing is positivity is the competitive advantage. It's not just a nice way to lead. It's the way to lead. You want to get results. You got to be optimistic. You got to believe. And people often think, you know, positivity is not about winning. No, positivity is what leads to winning. You don't have to choose between the two. And you can be very competitive and also very positive. You know, Matt Rambo and I, we play pickleball and and we were playing pickleball, me and Rambo, and, and I missed a shot. And I went, fudge. Now, I said another word I'm not going to say here. And Matt said, he starts laughing. I said, what's so funny? And he said, it's so funny seeing the positive guy get all pissed off. I said, no, I'm not I'm not getting pissed off. I'm just getting competitive. I'm getting fierce. We came back and we just dominated after that. And I said, see, Matt, sometimes the most positive thing you can do is turn fear into fuel, frustration into focus, and failure into finishing strong. And I actually told that to the Notre Dame team right before they were going to the final four. I got a chance to speak to that team as they were about to go to that bus and fly to the final four. I actually shared that message with those guys. You did. And and when they got to Philadelphia, I interviewed them. And I asked them because I knew you you had talked to them. And right away, this is before they ended up winning the game on Saturday and Monday. I, I said, what, what did John talk about? He said, love, love. This is a program for 35 times have gotten to, you know, the championships and, and failed to win one. And they did last year. And then afterwards, after the game, I went to that same player. I, I, I said, I said, what, what happened? He said, in the moment of stress, I was react, I was relaxed because I was focused on what John told us. Focus on the love, the love of the game, the love of your teammates. And that to me, I was like, wow, whatever you talked, whatever you said to them, not only it resonated, but but they put it into action. One of the most amazing things of, of my last season, John. One of the most amazing things of my life, to be honest, because I wasn't supposed to be there. I was going there to speak at the Purpose Summit, 
which was a big business event. And at the last second, as I was about to go to bed, I had the thought, it hit me. Like, I don't think it came from me. Reach out to, to Kevin, see if they're still here. What? They might even still be here? Kevin, you guys still here? Text me back. I think it's like midnight because I got in real late, about to speak the next morning. He said, yeah, we're still here. We have a practice uh, tomorrow before you leave. I said, what time? Tells me the time. I can make it right after I speak. So I said, hey, how about I come over? Great. I knew he was going to ask me to say something. So in my head, I start thinking about what I should say to this team as they're going to the final four. And I know they're full of fear as they get there. I know there's going to be this expectation, the big crowd, the noise. I know what I need to say. And it's what I wrote about in The Carpenter, Love Cast Out Fear, because I couldn't write that book. And I was so full of fear. And I woke up one morning, just love the reader, love the process, love writing. And if you do that, you will love what the process produces and fear will have no power over you. And so I literally made that a part of my mantra my, in my life, been sharing with professional athletes ever since. Like we're talking some of the biggest names of guys who are struggling because of fear. And then obviously knew I needed to share that with these guys. And then he asked me to say a few words. And of course, that's what I talked about. And man, when I was there, there was like this, this goosebump feeling I got now as you were telling that story. I literally started to tear up because I get this goosebump feeling like, wow, like this is something special. Like this is beyond us. This is like a spiritual experience. It was crazy. I'm in Notre Dame, so maybe that's why. But but I'm there. And then to see it play out, to see them just focus on, on loving each other, loving the competition. And this is a great message for all you parents out there, all of you players out there. Stop worrying about the outcome. Don't worry about messing up. Don't fear making a mistake. You're focused on the mistake in that moment. Instead, you love playing. You love competing. You just love competing in the moment. And if you love competing in this moment, you will be at your best. You will perform at your highest because that love is so much more powerful than fear. And you just love your teammates and you love that you get to play this game because so many, like George, they can't play anymore, but you can. And you focus on that love and now you perform it at a higher state of mind like I wrote about in The One Truth. Love creates connection. Connection creates clarity. Clarity creates confidence. And then confidence creates that courage that you need to go after it. And so, uh, anyway, it's a great topic I love to talk about because, you know, Quint, I played with a lot of fear. Playing for Richie Moran, starting face-off guy, starting D-Mitty. Man, I had a lot of fear, and I never truly enjoyed playing because I was so worried about messing up all the time. And I wish I can go back and play with that, you know, that freedom and that faith that I have now. I wish I could do it then, but guess what? I can't. So I can't change my past, but I can help you create your future. One, uh, during college football season on my plane rides, I, I read One Truth, uh, your, your most recent book. Uh, and to me, what the parts of it that stood out were, were the elevation of the mind, your, our own control of our mind. I, I loved your segments in there about the, uh, the evils of social media, uh, about the evils of, of drugs and alcohol and how they impact the brain as, uh, as our antenna. Uh, for folks who, who may want to uh, re read One Truth, kind of summarize it and what, what are you most proud of? What do you think is most effective uh, in that book? That was a book that wouldn't leave me alone as well. Like it just kept coming to me in terms of the ideas and the thoughts. And so then I started sharing those ideas and those thoughts with different athletes, different coaches. I shared it with Damian Lillard. And then I shared it 
with Doc Rivers. I shared it with Sean McVay and Matt LaFleur and Kevin O'Connell and, and um, you know, all the different coaches, many more in the NFL and Major League Baseball. And I'm like, hey, how about this? High state of mind, low state of mind. And then I started sharing with some teenagers who were really struggling with fear and anxiety and doubt. And in one session, turned them around. One kid was suicidal. One kid was in the ER two nights before. And the next day, his parents said, what did you do? He's fine. And I said, I just shared the truth with him. And then just recently, a young man struggling as a baseball player. And I, I really taught him this. And kid totally turned it around, was having all these negative thoughts. Taught him how to have that higher state of mind, change his mindset. You are in control of your mindset. But it's not like the standard thing that everyone talks about. You got your mindset. This is like how thoughts work. And once you understand how thoughts work and negative thoughts are not initially coming from you, so you don't have to believe the lies that they're telling. Instead, you speak truth to the lies. Instead, you actually work on having that clarity you need to have, recognizing those negative thoughts create clutter. Like, Quint, let's let's just ask, like, have, have you noticed that negative thoughts are always associated with overthinking? And overthinking is always associated with negative thoughts. We never say, man, I just have too many positive thoughts right now. I just have too much gratitude. Yeah. I, had, I got too much joy, man. I just, I'm just thinking too positive these days. No, it's always about overthinking and negative thoughts because the thoughts create the clutter. And once you understand this, you could actually start to create more clarity. And I teach that in this book. And that's what I've taught to these young men and women who are struggling. And then they realize, oh, I'm not broken. There's nothing wrong with me because they're beating themselves up thinking that something is wrong with them. And once they realize this is normal, this is the journey of life, and this is part of the equation of overcoming the negative thoughts, it's a battle for our mind. And once you know how to win the battle, then you can win in life. You win on the field and it's freeing. So these kids transform immediately. And this young man, this baseball player just got a great offer to go to NYU to play baseball and like his dream come true. And it was all because he turned his mindset around. So the gist is oneness and separateness. Everything comes down to that. And we feel connected. We feel one. We feel powerful. We feel separate. We feel divided and we feel weak. And the root for the Greek word of anxious means to separate and divide. So when you feel anxious, you actually feel separate and divided. So how do we can move? How do we move towards wholeness, towards healing, towards oneness and connection? That's the key to actually mental health, and it's the key to your health. It's the key to your well-being, and it's also the key to your high performance. I'm telling you, I'm proud of this book because it's literally revolutionary. And once you understand that the brain is an antenna, it takes your game to a higher level, it takes your mind to a higher level, and you can choose with that antenna: Do I tune into the negative? or the positive, because there are two main frequencies. But you have to understand those two main frequencies, positive and negative, that's how everything plays out in this world. There's things you can do, and there's things that are happening to you that are affecting your antenna, which affects your frequency you're tuning into. So when you damage the antenna, you actually have more negative thoughts. A guy we both know, Chris Bachwood, is a great friend of mine. Chris and I play pickleball as well here in, in, in Jacksonville. He lives here as well. And Chris had that traumatic brain injury yeah. most people know about. Chris said when he had the injury, he started having more negative thoughts. This was a kid who never had neck. Like he was so positive all the time, so energetic. After the injury, a lot of negative thoughts. What happened? He damaged his antenna and was now tuning into those negative thoughts. When you're damaging it with drugs, with alcohol, with chemicals, with all sorts of things, too much sugar actually will actually affect your antenna great book called Brain Energy by Chris Palmer. Once you understand that, then you can realize, all right, I got to take care of my brain health. 
that helps me have better mental health. You know, it's 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 a book that uh, I've tried to incorporate uh, the words in that book, and it takes practice. Uh, this is not something you're going to turn on and off. This is something that you can get better at. I found. You know, we all deal with with fear, anxiety, uh, doubt, stress. I, I have found from from reading that book and now I'm putting it into to uh, into practice that if I, for the type of person I am, if I do my work, if I stick to my process, uh, if I take care of my mind and my body, if I uh, avoid the negative thoughts from from the outside world that that exist quite quite uh, openly on on social media. Th that then I, I I know if I go for my walks of gratitude, I know I'm going to be in a better place to to perform. Totally, and it's like anything we have to train our mind, like we train our body. We do so much to train our body, but we never do these things to train our mind. And what happened for me was years ago when I was miserable, when I was negative, when I was full of fear, when I was literally like crumbling from the inside out, losing my job during the dot-com crash, don't know how I'm gonna pay the bills for my wife and kids and our house. I'm about to lose everything. I began taking walks of gratitude every day because the research said you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. It was a, it was new emerging research from positive psychology. Positive psychology was just beginning during that time. So every day I began taking this walk of gratitude. What was I doing? Looking back, I was tuning my antenna into the positive day in and day out. And I'm convinced we're going to find out in the future. You do that, you're nourishing your mind, your soul, and then literally the antenna of your brain, you're nourishing it, making it more healthy, more powerful, more connected. And as a result of that, you rewire your brain from negative to positive. Because I literally started to change the way I was thinking by doing this day in and day out, gratitude. And now I talk about creating a success journal. And there's all these different practices I put in the book. Again, very simple practices. They're not hard. You do two or three things, right? A day or just even one per day. And you do it every day. You're going to renew your mind. You're going to uplift your mind. You're going to tune into the positive. And over time, that has an incredible impact on your mental toughness, on your mental well-being and your overall performance. So yeah, we got to do that every single day. And it's amazing how so many don't. This is the next frontier. Now, everyone talks about meditation. You you saw McCarthy from Michigan meditating before the national championship. Everyone was talking about that. That's great. Meditation is a great practice. Why? Because it creates stillness, less clutter, more clarity, and that allows you to think more clearly and get rid of all that stuff in your mind. So it's very helpful in that way. And, and for me, you know, gratitude and prayer are, are two my, my go-tos that really help me create that higher state of mind. Interesting. I, I covered the Rose Bowl with uh, that Michigan-Alabama game, and it was about two hours before the game, and I wanted to say hi to JJ, and I noticed that he was sitting under the goalpost by himself uh, very, very quietly, and I'm like, you know, now's probably not the time I need to just <laughs> say hi to him. I've had his games before. He's a, he's a very likable young man. I just wanted to wish him good luck, and I'm, I'm like, no – and so he was out there, you know, uh, getting mentally prepared, uh, very much in in his routine. Uh, th this time of year, John, uh, I, I always like talking to you because it's kind of the beginning of the season for for college, high school, uh, youth leagues. And there's three segments of people who listen to this podcast. We've got uh, parents, we've got coaches, and we've got players uh, and and fans. And, and I want to hear from you just real quickly on each of those three three areas. 
uh, points of emphasis that you would have kind of heading into a new season? If, if you were a parent, you, you, you touched on it previously a couple minutes ago. Uh, what's important for parents right now in this day and age uh, who may have a high school student, who may have a middle school student, or even a college athlete? What, what, what should parents be emphasizing? I'm glad you asked me that because I think about this a lot. I'm someone who almost ruined my daughter's lacrosse career because I was so focused on how she was playing. I was always giving her suggestions, criticizing, not encouraging enough. And as a middle schooler, she almost quit because of me. So when I tell you advice, just know it's from my own mistakes. It's from my own brokenness, my own having to learn and grow as a human being to be a better father, to now teach this and help others. Parents, it's their journey. Let them play. You support them. You encourage them. You are there for them. Do what Trent Dilfer does. Have two hats, dad hat or mom hat, and then there's coach hat. And you ask your kids, which hat do you want me to have? And if it's mom or dad hat, it's pure encouragement, pure love, pure support. If it's coach hat, then you can give them suggestions, but they get to decide. You don't decide. You don't say a word. Do they want coach hat or mom or dad hat? I love that idea because I think it's just brilliant in terms of how we can approach and support. Once I changed from being this negative influence, I really became just this encourager to my to my daughter and just said, I'm going to support her. I'm going to just love her. And I kept on telling her, Jade, you got this. You're unstoppable, Jade. When she messed up, I was there supporting her and loving her. And this was a girl who was hesitant, fearful as a ninth grader, 10th grader starter, but then gets benched. I watched this girl just develop through the encouragement and support. Eventually, junior year, becoming an All-American, scoring 80 goals, taking her team to the to the state championship, you know, just playing out of her mind because of the love and support. And now she's doing this work. She's speaking. She's working with programs. She's actually just worked with Auburn Golf. She's now doing this work. She would never have wanted to do this work if I didn't change, if I was that jerk. So listen, parents, you are, you're, you're there for your kids. This is for your life together. You're going to literally be with your kids in Thanksgiving when they're adults. What do you want them to remember? That you were a jerk, that you weren't supportive, or that you were just always there for them, always encouraging? We make this life and death, and it's not life and death. Just remember, if they're good enough, they will play at the highest level. If they are, they will make it. You don't have to force it. You just love and support them. The other thing my daughter remembers is I made her do the wall in middle school. Righty, lefty, righty, lefty. She had to do the wall three times a week to get her phone for the weekend. To this day, she <laughs> gives me a hard time about it. To this day, I'm embarrassed that I actually did that because you know what? That was so controlling and it had to be her decision, not mine. Now, again, I could suggest it. Hey, you want to work the wall or let's do it together. Why don't we have a competition and we'll do it together? But man, making her do the wall like it did, just, just bad. So parents, I know what that's like to be this crazy parent. Don't be that crazy parent. You support them. You love them. And let coach be coach. You be also supportive of the team. You know, when you're always saying, hey, you should be starting, you should be playing, you should be doing this, you put pressure on them. Allow them to have this experience. I'm sure George's parents, you know, wish he could go back and play, you know, his his final season and it wasn't cut short by that. You never know what tomorrow brings. It's not life and death. It's lacrosse. It's the creator's game. So let's honor the creator with it and let's have some fun and enjoy it. Two hats. It's a, it's a that's a book title. Trent Dilfer, maybe even Deion Sanders, because when I was out in Colorado, he too wears the two hats with with his son Shador, who's the quarterback, 
and they would walk down to the goal line together as father and son. They get to the goal line, turn around and walk back as coach and son. So that designation, two hats, is is a is a Trent, book in the mail. Trent and I talked about it. It's funny that you said that. We talked about it. And when he told me that, I thought, yes. I'm just not ready yet, but that's definitely a book that I think uh, I, I decided I wasn't going to write any more books with others, but with Trent, I think I have to write this book. Okay. Coaches, uh, you know, again, coaching at, at, at the youth level versus high school versus college is very different, but, but if there's one or two points of emphasis and, and, you know, what, what you're around on a daily basis, what would you be emphasizing to, to, to lacrosse coaches? Yeah, leadership is a transfer of belief. So it's all about your positivity your belief and what you're sharing with your team. You have to believe in them more than they believe in themselves. You and I met at Clemson, Quint, and guess what? That's Dabo Sweeney. He is the ultimate believer. He believes in those guys, and then they rise up to that belief. They were four and four this year, and then they won every game after that. That happens when a coach believes and supports. I've seen it over and over again, so that's essential. And the other key thing for coaches is, is love and accountability. You got to have the two, love and accountability. Set the standard. This is the standard. This is what it looks like to meet the standard. And this is what it doesn't look like when you're not meeting the standard. This is what subpar performance looks like or subpar effort, or you're not reaching your potential. Greatest thing we could do as a coach is, is love serving care. Love our players. Serve them and show you care about them. And guess what? When you care about them, it means you're not going to let them settle for anything but their best. You're going to hold them accountable because you know what they can become. And you have to sometimes push and challenge them, but they have to first know that you love and care about them. If you're always yeah. pushing and challenging, but not loving and supporting, they will tune you out and you're going to burn them out. But if they know you love them, then you earn the right to challenge them and push them. I think too many coaches, either too much love and not enough accountability. We know some coaches that are like that. They never want to rock the boat. And they have a great family, but they never become a great team. And then you'll have a coach that's too much accountability and not enough love and not enough support. And then those players are thinking, hey, this coach doesn't care about me. And then they never become all that they can be with either with either, with either factor, with either choice. To me, it's fascinating how, how that love equates then to a connection, which, which then leads to the growth. Uh, obviously, in our era, which was very different, there was a lot less love and it was my way or the highway. And as an athlete, you learned, yeah, okay, I've, I've, I've got to, you know, uh, do this according to how my coach wants it to be done. And things have changed a little bit, bit. And, and now I think coaches do have to make that connection first. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, Doc Rivers said when he was playing, you just respected coach. You yes. just honored coach. When he said something, okay, coach, now when he's the coach, He's got to actually earn the trust and respect of his players. He doesn't automatically have it. He has to build that relationship with them so that they know that he cares about them. And then there's relational equity there. Working with Sean McVay, since he got the head coach coaching job with the Rams at, at 30, you know, working with Sean, he's a relational genius, a social genius. He really connects with his guys one-on-one. -on -one. It's why you never see any issues or problems at the Rams because he really develops these relationships one-on-one -on -one with each player and is able to communicate and connect. You said it, when you have connection, you then have commitment. You'll never get commitment without connection. So coach, you want to have a committed team? You got to build a connected team. And I, I'm not trying to be self-promotional, but that's what the power of a positive team is all about. If you're a coach, you really should read the power of a positive team. It will help you build a more connected team. And going back to parents, parents, you read the one truth, 
and then you share it with your kids. I'm telling you, you do that, you will both be in a higher state of mind. It is that important. I'm telling you, I wrote this book because I saw it save lives. And I'm like, I've got to write this like right now. Was it going to? But I'm like, I got to write it right now because I'm seeing what it's doing for these kids and how it's helping them. And more kids need to have this message out there. The Northwestern Women's Lacrosse team, they all got copies of, of The One Truth. And I said, just read the first book. There's three books in one, like section one, section two, section three. I said, just read section one, which is higher state of mind, lower state of mind. You do that. That's going to help you. Last thing, John, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I went back and was writing an article about a 2002 uh, season debut of Kyle Harrison, John Topkins, uh, midfielder, Hall of Famer, yep. when he played in his first game. So as part of that, I had to go back and actually watch the game. So I'm listening to myself from 20 years ago. And you talk about positivity as being a competitive advantage. The thing that st stood out when I'm evaluating my own performance 20 years ago, I was like, damn, I was really excited and really positive. And so I'm like doing some self-evaluation. I'm like, yeah, let's not get away from that. And so at the top of my list for this year, I have four things. Be more positive, genuine enthusiasm, which will lead to a work ethic. Be a great teammate. And then last would be knowing when to lead on my team, knowing when to follow on my team. Uh, it just, you know, it, it's something that hit me and, and it comes back to a, a lot of uh, your foundational, your foundational points. I love, it. I, lo I, I love the foundational part of that. I love the intentionality of that. I think that's a great example for all of us. It's a great example for me. Like, wow, you're so intentional. It's why you've been so successful as a player now also as a broadcaster. I was going to ask you what it's like to actually go from football to lacrosse. Is there any difference? Have you grown in your love of football by doing the football games? But is lacrosse a feeling of like coming home? Like you love football, but lacrosse is like coming home. Is that what it's like? It is. My, my role is very different. But the best thing for me about football, again, you mentioned Dabo Sweeney, to spend time with him, to go cover a Rose Bowl with Nick Saban, to work alongside a guy like Lewis Riddick, who is a pro's pro. Brilliant. who has incredible relationships uh, to work alongside a guy like RG three uh, who, who is uh, genuinely, uh, he's, he's very funny and to see how uh, he can relate to, to young athletes right now. So I'm, I'm always trying to pull the best of the others around me and, and then carry that forward and, and, and use that in my game. You know, uh, it, it's, I'm just very fortunate to have those diverse experiences, whether it's a wrestling championship uh, and obviously lacrosse is going to be lacrosse and I feel very at home, but, but I can't get complacent here. You know, I think the tendency would be to do less. In fact, I got to do more. I got to be more positive. I got to bring the enthusiasm, you know, uh, j and just not get stale. I'm excited for this game and how it's grown. I'm excited for the energy behind it and what people are saying, like to, to be able to, I'm proud that I was a lacrosse player, proud that, that this game helped me become who I am today. I would never be who I am. I would never be doing what I'm doing if I didn't play lacrosse and didn't go to Cornell University. Richie Moran changed my life. That experience playing at Cornell changed my life. And I am who I am because of the guys that I was around, the experience I had, and this incredible game. So like, writing the hard hat was basically my, my gratitude and giving back, I believe, not just to Cornell, but also to, to the sport and to all the kids you know, who are playing it to be able to to bring Georgia's memory alive, but also to help people along this along this path and this journey. So yeah, when I get to speak to a team, a lacrosse team, it's it's extra special. I'll usually speak to Cornell and I'll Zoom with them and every year. And I'm talking to these guys and 
they're in the same room that I sat in years ago, graduating in 93. And that just blows my mind when I think about it. like that same exact room I sat in there. And it's like a lifetime ago. Who were we then? But this is what's cool, Quinn. I, I know we got to end on this. It's really cool because you said you can't get complacent. Me neither. I'm 53 now, but I feel like I'm just getting started. I'm just learning. I'm just growing. I'm getting better. Like one truth is so different than any other book I've ever written. And that's what I'm proud of as well. Like it's not my typical fable or, you know, how-to book. It's really a different thought leadership kind of book, like really advanced kind of book. And I realized, well, I'm just getting started again. I'm just beginning. I'm, I'm new. And so I feel like a rookie right now. And that is energizing. Even though I've been doing this a long time, I really feel like, wow, I've, I've got a lot of room to grow. I've got a lot of room to get better. And I want to reach more people than I've ever reached now with this message that I believe can change lives. So, so I think we're both like this humble and hungry mindset and this rookie mindset that actually makes us even better. John, thank you so much. It's uh, always uh, terrific to see you on the road and, and great to share your time. I, I, know, I know you're a busy man. Uh, congratulations on all your success. And, uh, and, and thank you. Really, I, I cherish uh, I cherish the ability to reach out and, and get your opinion on things and, and to discuss topics. Really, really means a lot to me. Thank you. I, I do as well. I love it. Love connecting. That's it for this week's episode of the Quintessential Podcast. Thank you to our guests. Thanks to our technical director, Dr. Nick Z. I want to thank you for listening. And of course, thanks to our sponsor, Axia Time. A watch. What a better gift than a ring. I've got a championship ring. It's collecting dust in a box. I wear watches all the time. Thank you, Axia Time. It's axiatime.com, and we'll see you next week.